folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Are you looking to plan and book an upcoming Disney vacation? Contact the Tierra Talk Show's official travel agent, James from Destinations in Florida, by visiting destinationsinflorida.com backslash tiara for a free quote. The link is also included in the show notes on our website. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, composer and voiceover artist, Mike Brassell. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thank you so very much. I, I'm glad to be here. Actually, for the second time. I know. Well, the last time I got a chance to speak with you was almost five years ago. Isn't that crazy? What? Was it that long ago? Wow. Uh, time has certainly flown. And it was also right around the time that the new spiel for the Tomorrow Translate Authority was added to Tomorrowland at Magic Kingdom. And I remember there was a lot of debate in the Disney fan community about the new narration. And my co-hosts, Darlene, Danelle, and myself, we all thought it was a great addition because it had not been updated for 20 years. And there were new attractions there. And we thought it was a great addition. They still had some of the same aspects of the old one. And there was a lot of uh, hullabaloo going on about it. And we just thought it was great, you know. And I and, and I don't really hear anything about Everybody says it's really nice and they kind of updated with new colors the attraction and i think it works very well <laughs> well thank you for the positive feedback you know as a voice actor you only follow the direction of you know the producer the person who's directing the uh the actual session there i mean they they do hire you for your skill and expect you to give your all in that which i believe i did i'd like to think that i did <laughs> and uh and, you know the feedback is the feedback it's whatever it is i'm proud to do it i'm, I'm very happy to represent the tomorrowland transit authority and i'd do it again anytime and you got that job because you did the uh, Living with the Land attraction, correct? Or was it vice versa, switching uh, around? No, I no. you're right. Living with the Land came first. And I think that I've been on that attraction for uh, six years now, um, maybe seven. And, uh, and of course, Tomorrowland Transit Authority came right after that. Uh, I shouldn't have said, of course, but uh, it certainly did come right after that. So that was uh, <laughs> it's a highlight. <laughs> And I, Absolute highlight. <laughs> and I remember you said that you you still have to go in sometimes to, or just record in your own home studio some lines for them for the Living with the Land attraction because that is always constantly changing. That is absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, they brought me down to the studios themselves here over uh, last summer. Uh, actually, it was last fall uh, where we another update for Living with the Land, which is now playing. I'm happy about that. It's uh, They're great people. But it's a great attraction, and I'm, I'm proud to, to voice it. Has it been weird for your kids going on an, an attraction like that, both attractions, and being like, wait, wait, that's my dad? Yeah, yeah, and what a cool feeling that is. Honestly, it's it's the coolest thing in the world. But they're like, what? Dad, it just sounds like you talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. The voice of <laughs> tomorrow. Don't know that. <laughs> yeah. 
And aside from being a voiceover artist, we were talking off air that you are writing musical compositions for films, TV, and also theme parks. You wrote some musical compositions for Space Mountain, which I had no idea. Was this for the Disneyland one or the Disney World or, or both of them? No, it's for uh, uh, Disney World. As a matter of fact, uh, there are two Michaels, me and uh, Michael Giacchino. I don't know if I have his last name right. Uh, he did the one in uh, at Disneyland in California. The music is always a lot of fun. Now, the music that is yours in that attraction is the one that's playing when you're on the ride, correct? That is correct. It's the uh, music that's playing inside the mountain. I think there's 60 some odd speakers that it uh, plays through, uh, including the sound effects. Uh, we did some of the sound effect design in that as well for uh, Walt Disney World at the Magic Kingdom. Uh, just fantastic stuff. I mean, it bounces, the sound bounces around there quite a bit. It's, it's kind of different than the uh, Disneyland one because their uh, speakers are on ride, are, are actually in the cars, which makes a big difference. But, uh, you know, still proud to have it there nonetheless. There's a short film that was made about the legend of John Henry, which is one of my favorite short films that Disney has ever made. And you are the, I think, the priest in that. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> that's absolutely correct. And that was uh, with my time at Disney Feature Animation there in Florida when the studio was active there at um, uh, this D Disney MGM Studios at the time it was known as. Oh, what a, an honor uh, for that to happen. Actually, we were just getting prepared uh, to get into Lilo and Stitch. So they the, the show producers and creators for Lilo and Stitch were already there preparing for the rollout uh, for us to do uh, Lilo and Stitch. So this project was uh, one of those that we were just transitioning right into Lilo and Stitch. It was a fun project. It was actually challenging for uh, the crew as well, simply because it was using, um, just like Lilo and Stitch, they were using watercolor backgrounds. Uh, it was a great look to a film, uh, that, that short film, which was very, very cool. And I had told very them about Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, and it, but it was received well, and it was part of the Disney Legends VHS, uh, I think is what you're referring to, uh, and it came out on that, which is <laughs> very cool, but yes, I was the preacher. Because <laughs> uh, I love watching it, I'm like, there's Mike! <laughs> it's fantastic, and I'm so sad because they don't really play it on Disney Channel or anything like that. I know there's two copies on YouTube. If, if anybody wants to watch it, it's definitely something you should watch. The music was awesome as well. Oh, yes. Uh, it was I absolutely it. wonderful. You were saying that you worked on Lilo and Stitch, and you also worked on Brother Bear. Yeah, absolutely. I was an assistant production manager of the CAPS system, which is the computer animation production system for Disney. I, th I think they won Oscar for that technology uh, and that was one of the last uh, Lilo and Stitch and Brother Bear were the last films I think under those auspices under CAPS because they were developing a, a, a new uh, software and a whole new workflow for the, the back end for their production and what we did basically was there were seven departments even more but that would take the uh, physical artwork they would scan it in that scanning was not one of my departments but as soon as it got scanned into the digital world it did come into my departments with color model markup uh Ink, inking and painting and that happened through both uh, Florida and California uh, and, and made animation studios pardon me uh, and then it went into print of course after it got final checked and then we got the physical film back and we would show that for approval to the directors and once they said yes to cut it in we cut it into the film and keep going that way if there were fixes or changes we'd send it back through the pipeline and it would come back through fixed and we would approve it and then we'd archive everything including the paper uh, animation in our building and then we would uh, digitally archive the data for those scenes as well so there was a whole lot going on 
uh, for us all the time. And we did that for not only the show that was active, but uh, the shows that were in development as well. We were we were kind of the catch-all for everyone. But do you remember when people would be able to come in and see you guys working and what would the latest project was going to be? It was a, a great time to be part of the uh, the Florida Disney Institution, of course, as well, uh, before they shuttered uh, the doors. And uh, finally, of course, in 2004, there's a documentary, actually, that I would recommend those who are interested in what happened there in those times uh, online um, through... Um, Dream on Silly Dreamers, the name of the title of the actual short piece. I scored that with uh, my German friend, um, Kuno Schmid. Um, we were working with some of the animators in Florida who had uh, thought uh, ahead enough to document what was happening at Feature Animation. And uh, Roy Disney was kind enough to sponsor it. And uh, we made a, a short documentary about what was happening the, through the heydays and uh, you know down to the closing of the studio, it, which was a sad time. But uh, but yeah, we, we certainly had a, a fun, fun time there. And uh, I, I never regret a day that I uh, walking into that building. It's uh, it's sad to see it uh, in the state that it is now. I say mm-hmm. that because uh, animation was there and, you know, we were cranking out some great, great stuff. But to answer your question, yes, uh, my office used to be down in that uh, fishbowl area where you would go through the tour. And, of course, the, the grayed out windows would clear up and you would see, you know, people walking around uh, inside the animation building and even working with the background desks that were right there near the windows. Now, we used to have meetings in, uh, it, and for show, we would have meetings in uh, the store, uh, story rooms that were right there on the route. And I did this one time, uh, and they let me do this. I asked uh, the facility manager if I could bring my kids. They were coming through the tour, if I could bring my kids or at least meet them uh, in the uh, fishbowl area, and I could. They walked me up the stairs and opened the door, and, and, <laughs> and I hugged my kids, gave them high fives, and they came down into the office. They felt so cool doing that i was like this is fantastic the VIP treatment. oh yeah <laughs> like what you can go off tour in there that's the coolest thing in the world and man we've been really blessed to be able to be part of that uh, institution i love it do you find that you like composing a little bit more than you do voice work or do you like them equally both the same you know that's a great question um <laughs> it's it, it's a whole different adjustment when you're composing you're in a different frame of mind than when you're uh, it's all part of being creative so it's under that creative umbrella which is great but it's a different part of your brain that you're you're locking into a character and you got to be this way you got to kind of tap into all your real feelings and make that character live so that people that are listening believe you. Uh, and that's that's very important to do. But, however, when you're writing a piece of music, it's all about making them feel something as well. Uh, and all you get is, you know, the time the, between 10 or 20 or 30 seconds to captivate someone and have them keep listening. So it's, it's quite a difference to me. Uh, but I love both of them because they are so different, because I'm able to be creative in both of those areas and uh, uh, and enjoy that, uh, enjoy the, both of those aspects. I appreciate and where do you get your inspiration for composing? That's a great question, too. Um, it, it comes from a lot of places. For me now, uh, because I'm starting to compose a lot more, uh, especially for the library, I'm getting inspiration from the radio and some of the genres that I'm trying to write in, uh, production music library believe it or not, uh, they offer a lot of inspiration because of the music that they just keep churning uh, out and cranking out. It's great to hear all these different genres all the time. But yes, radio is great for that. Previously, when I was writing, just in my younger days and in my younger mind and maturity, I was, uh, you know, emoting through my feelings more so with the music um, and not really kind of 
connecting it to any visuals. So now, you know, as I, again, you learn as you grow, uh, I, I'm more connected to the visual aspect. So now things have to fit a, you know, a character or a feeling or a shot in a film or a TV show or an opening of a TV show or a film. You know, you have to make sure that uh, it's excitable and people enjoy it and that it's something that, um, that they'll listen to over and over again. Yeah, there there are many many different aspects as to where you get inspiration mm-hmm. from, and not and not to mention the director or the music supervisor. You've got to listen to them and their direction because ultimately you're trying to please them and make sure that the, you've given them exactly what they asked for. Absolutely. And do you ever find a Disney attraction if you were asked to maybe create a new score for it, you'd be like, absolutely yes. Oh yes, <laughs> without a doubt. Oh, oh, it'd be the first thing I'd say, and then I'd go, "What? What am I doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd get back into inspiration, and I'd talk to them more about the project. And of course, then they would give me all their feedback in terms of how they, because you know, these Imagineers. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. I'm not telling you anything new, but boy, they know what they want, and they're going to give you a clear cut idea. Then they'll let you go and put your creativity on it, and then they'll, you know, they'll hone it or and get it to exactly to where they want it and they're happy and where they'll know the audience will receive it well. That's what's mm-hmm. amazing about those guys. They're, they're awesome. And you just reminded me, it's been five years since Princess and the Frog was released and That's you right. worked on some songs that were never really used for the production. So have you heard anything about maybe they're going to use them for another movie at all? Yeah, I would love to see that music be used. Are you kidding me? That'd be fantastic. Uh, it was <laughs> written with Eric Goldberg uh, and Eric Goldberg is a fantastic animator and he's just an awesome creative visionary this guy is so full of energy and talent he's bursting with it i'm so proud to have been connected to him with these songs and we sold five of them as a matter of fact to disney he pitched it to them and they they accepted his idea accepted the songs bought all that stuff but sat on it never did anything with that in particular but they did kind of form uh, out of that formula they did come out with uh, uh, princess and the frog which is great uh, so i hold no ill will towards that but yes please disney use my song <laughs> Three more fun questions. I always ask my guests. They're sure. the Donald, Goofy, and Mickey ones. So okay. we'll start with the Donald one. So as a child, what Disney film would you always like to watch over and over again? Peter Pan. And our Goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Oh, Goofy. And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh, it, it's the Hercules one. Um, the song from Hercules. Um, oh, The Distance? Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that one is wow. And it speaks to me. Uh, it speaks to me as well just in my uh, – through, throughout my life, I should say. It's transcendental music is. And when you find that one that kind of speaks to how your life is, uh, has played itself out so far, you're like, this is the song for me for a long, long time. And that's uh, – Go The Distance is, is my song because of that. I mean, there's mm-hmm. many – you know, as a composer. Or, uh, and as a father, I mean, there's many, many obstacles in your way, people telling you you can't make it and you're never going to be this or that. And there's lots of positive influence as well. Um, so, so you can't truly go the distance. And that one connects with me on all those levels. That's why I love that song so much. They did it really well. 
Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the show. And, and I'm so excited because listeners can check out one of your new websites. Head to INeedMoreMusic.com to check out some of Mike's compositions. They're really, really good. I was listening to some of them before we started recording our interview. And you can also follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Brassell, which is B-R-A-S-S-E-L-L, if you need to know how to spell Brassell. That's it. <laughs> you got it exactly right. You're awesome. Thank you so much for having me again. I, I tell you, I love to do this, and I'm, I'm glad you guys enjoy it. Thank you. Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner Nonstop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round-trip Super Skyway Tour. (laughs) 